Today, we have Tahid Siddiqui on the show. Are you an investor looking for better risk-adjusted returns? Tahid is a Wall Street hedge fund veteran, and he's found that multifamily real estate offers investors better risk-adjusted returns and less volatility as compared to stocks. Tahid is a general partner in over 1,300 units. Listen to hear how he manages downside protection, downside risk, and capital preservation. Before we jump into the intro, don't take a chance on missing out on a future episode to learn from proven seasoned investors. Go to Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe, and please select the five-star review. We are currently at 276 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and are shooting to get to the 300 mark. Thank you to everyone for stepping up. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Tahid Siddiqui before we start the show. Tahid lives in the Dallas area with his wife and two college-age children. His background is in the Wall Street hedge fund arena. And he has extensive experience with analyzing and managing risk. Tahid is a general partner in over 1,300 multifamily units. His focus is on value-add multifamily as well as new construction development. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest here with us today. We have Tahid Siddiqui here with us. Tahid, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So just a little background on how I know Tahid. So um, if you've listened to other podcasts, you know I joined a mentorship group, multifamily mentorship group, and uh, that was back in December of 2017. And uh, the first thing I did when I joined that group is there was a private Facebook group. And I looked on that group to look at posts and see who was actually doing deals. And I reached out to a number of those people and set up meetings at Starbucks. And Tahid was the first person that I met with. And uh, he was kind enough to get together with me. And um, and then I invested in his deal. It was the first deal I got involved in, um, you know, like a month later. And I was so excited to, to learn from him and to be a part of a deal and um, to learn the space. So uh, it's, it's great having you on, Tahit. I really appreciate it. Um, typically, the first question I ask is, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Sure. Again, thanks, Darren, for having me. Uh, so uh, right now, I'm a, a general partner in about 1,300 units. 800 of those, I would say, are in DFW, 200 in San Antonio, and approximately 300 uh, in uh, 
Florida. In Florida, we are um, in two markets. One is Jacksonville and the other is uh, Tampa St. Pete. Fantastic. Um, you know, when I met with you, it was, you had a really interesting background because, and I was just getting in the space, so I didn't know how people kind of came up into this world of syndication. Um, but you were a wall street guy before. So, you know, can you share a little bit about what, what you were doing in the wall street arena before you got involved in real estate? Yes. So I was in the hedge funds world. Uh, you know, uh, I started uh, kind of Wall Street with uh, one of the Japanese bank and then joined a Swiss bank. Uh, and uh, we launched fund of funds. We did asset allocation, risk management. You know, we had a portfolio of close to a billion dollars there. And then uh, actually, I uh, kind of ventured out and formed our own company under the auspices of another large company. Um, you know, it was uh, three of us and then two, actually one left and two of us ran the company for, oh, another like about five years, um, you know, and man, we, we, we went through 2001, you know, 2000 bear market and then the Iraq war and all that. But it was, uh, you know, downside protection of hedge funds helped us a lot. We did pretty good until 2005. And that's when I kind of, um, to be honest, decided to just leave, leave Wall Street. Um, and I guess your next question is going to be why. To be honest with you, I, I sometime, you know, in eight days, I would travel three continents and I just couldn't. That's crazy. crazy. It was. <laughs> to be honest with you, I used to make day trips to, uh, or day and a half trip to Switzerland, you know, take a 6 p.m. flight from New York, uh, get ready at the airport, take shower, go do a presentation to some private banks, uh, you know, and then have lunch somewhere and rush back to the airport and fly back to New York. I did that so many times. Um, That's crazy. And, so you were living yeah. in Manhattan and then you chose when you left Wall Street, you chose to move to Dallas. Is that how it worked? How did you make that so decision? I, I, I actually lived uh, just, you know, a little bit, uh, 35 miles away from Manhattan. But uh, I worked for the most part in uh, in Manhattan. You know, our office was actually one rock uh, right right there at Rockefeller Center. And that was another thing, to be honest with you, you know, around holidays, it would take three hours to get out of Manhattan. That's crazy. Uh, it, 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 it just, just yeah, all, all that kind of. Another thing was, you know, meetings after meetings. Uh, it, it was like you could tell you just waste so much time. So eventually, uh, you know, I, I left that, got into real estate and actually moved, I, I moved to Texas in 2013. Oh, that was, um, that and, was later. Yeah. So, and, and I, I tell you, it was just, just perfect timing, you know, um, man, since then real estate has been obviously, um, you know, doing great, uh, here. So my timing was perfect. Uh, and I, I just love it here. And I came here, I, uh, you know, um, uh, by the time I reached here in 2013, uh, the real estate here, has already started kind of ticking up, you know, from 2008 recession, you were doing pretty good. And uh, the Wall Street guy and me, the downside protection guy and me said, oh, my God, you know, they're already up 15 percent. Historically, you do only three to five percent a year. This is too much. You know what's going to happen. So uh, based on that concept, I said, you know, I really want to get into construction here. So I started building duplexes. And the idea was that 15, 20 or 25 percent, whatever margin you have, God forbid, if, you know, something bad repeats, um, you know, I'll have that uh, buffer. To be honest, that's how I got in. Uh, started building here in Princeton and kind of never looked back. Uh, 
And lately, you know, we have kind of 10x our construction business uh, wow. in, in the past 12 months. Wow. Um, that's so one of the things that, you know, there's, there's listeners that are focused on, you know, getting in real estate. There's also some people that, you know, they, I know that this is the fact because I was there is like you, when you're in the corporate world, you, you know, there's a lot of people that want to make that jump, you know, want, want to get out, but it, it's really hard mentally to take that leap of faith to go out on your own. So, you know, what did you do to prep yourself to, you know, lead, leave the hedge fund world and actually go out on your own, start your own construction company to build duplexes? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, I was a little fortunate uh, that, uh, you know, the company we formed, we did pretty good. And with the bank, I was doing OK. So I knew that I can sustain, you know, myself and my family for a year or two if I have to. So I, I had that luxury. Uh, to be honest. And, you know, I was just at a point where I, you know, um, I said, I just now want to do what I want to do instead of, you know, uh, corporate world. Right. Um, and don't get me wrong, if I'm ever again, you know, if next life, honestly, if I were, uh, I'm in 20s, I would do exactly the same thing. I absolutely loved Wall Street. I, I loved every second of it. Um, you know, every day we had to learn so much and we had to compete and, you know, you had to put performance between January and December. And I, I love all that. To be honest, that's me. But, you know, when, when you get in 40s, uh, you know, your perspective change. And I just didn't want to waste all, all that time in travel. Uh, and another thing was also the volatility got to me. Uh, to be honest, you know, I, I have invested in, uh, you know, worked uh, kind of in, with, with uh, asset, uh, you know, from asset allocation point with managers of commodities, currencies, uh, you know, debt, equity. And um, it's tough, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's different when you're in 20s, you can take 10, 20, 30% hit. And, you know, now I don't have a stomach for that. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, I tell you, even, you know, when, when uh, 9-11 happened, you know, it was, it was not only very, very difficult time emotionally, but we just launched a portfolio a week before that. Market was closed and, you know, we had a lot of European clients calling us every day. Uh, offices were closed, obviously, and it was it was emotionally very very difficult time in New York. Uh, but you know, even from an investment standpoint, everybody called and market was closed. So um, you know, and something else happens, you know, globally, and you're down ten percent overnight. Right? I I just couldn't take that anymore, and that's why I wanted to focus on real estate, where there's more visibility, there's less volatility, uh, and you know, it's more local. Right. I mean, you invested uh, in, in a global fund and something happens in Japan. There's nothing you could do about it. But your portfolio is down 10 percent. You right. really can't do anything, you know, and that's something I, I kind of didn't want to do anymore. It's the volatility that I, I could not take. It's the certainty of uh, returns that I kind of more preferred, you know, more visibility. And that that's kind of what led me to uh, to real estate and also, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to have like seven to seven hours, you know, five, six days a week uh, in real estate. I, I still work hard, to be honest with you. I work, you know, hours, but at least it's it's uh, it's my choice. And, you, you know, sometimes we just go playing golf on Wednesday right? or right. Friday or whatever. Right. Uh, but then I work on Sunday. Right. Then I, work on, I don't mind that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so some of the things that I would I would say coming out of that is, 
is one, I, I was in a similar situation. Um, I was working for a large um, Dutch bank on their capital markets desk, trading large loan portfolios. Did very well. I knew I wanted to go out on my own. Um, so my wife was asking me, you know, hey, let's buy the bigger house. Let's, you know, and I was like, you know, no, because at some point this is going to end. And when when it does, I don't want to ever work for anybody again. So what, you know, what you did, what I did was we we put enough away where we had, you know, the flexibility and the, and the runway to go out on our own. So that's, you know, a piece of advice I would give to people is, look, if you really have that itch to get into real estate or to get into um, start your own business, you know, plan for it, you know, start downsizing your lifestyle and putting some money away to give you that flexibility to do that. Um, the other thing you, you talked about was, you know, um, the difference between Wall Street investments and real estate in that, you know, when there's a, a downside event, it's immediately impacted in the valuation in, you know, stocks and bonds and where real estate is much less liquid, but there's not a ticker symbol. So you don't see the valuation just crater. Um, so when we talk about COVID, I mean, I remember that two week time period when it first happened last year and the stock market was going down and down and down and down, but all these multifamily investments, I didn't have a ticker symbol. So I was like, look, as long as the cash flow is there to pay the mortgage, you know, eventually they'll come out on the other side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I tell you, you know, I got this experience of, of getting hit, uh, um, you know, for those who, who were investing in 90s. If you remember, there was a hedge fund called a very large hedge fund called Long Term Capital. Oh, right? Yeah. They blew up. They blew up in August of 1997. I, I read they had a, a book uh, written about them and they they <laughs> you were you were Multiple part of that books. investment. Yes. 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 So uh, the Swiss hedge fund, uh, the Swiss uh, bank I used to work for. You know, we had discretionary uh, investments, but we had non-discretionary where investors made their own decision. And we had a very large portfolio with long-term capital. And actually, I was working with long-term capital. So I have some firsthand knowledge. And I can tell you, you know, overnight, those super geniuses went to, their net worth went to zero. Wow. And along with that, billions of dollars of wealth was destroyed. So had it not been Federal Reserve, to be honest, you know, we would have seen a major crash in the financial markets. Uh, they jumped in and they protect everybody. Uh, but anyway, from our side, you know, we had just launched a fund just a month before and bang, we get hit. Where S&P is down over 14% in a month. And I tell you, I, you know, I was like, oh my God. You know, this yeah, is what, it. This what is, are we gonna this do? is the end, right? right? Right, this is the end of the department. This is the end of the job, everything. Now, it turned out by the time the month ended, S&P was down over 14%. We were up a few basis points. Wow. So actually, that was the best thing that happened for our new fund and department, uh, our department because we kind of proved, you know, how good we were with hedge funds and downside risk. But in between, I can tell you, there were a lot of sleepless nights, you know, and then we also seen that. So that's what happened in 97 and then 98, 99, right? everybody thought they were genius. Everybody cracked the code, you know, because NASDAQ was up like 100% every month, every year. And we made a lot of money. And then bang, we got hit in 2000, right? There was a bloodbath. Uh, there were margin calls everywhere. 
I can tell you, you know, people are crying. I literally met clients who were crying, crying. You know, they took like second mortgage and investing in stock market because they thought it's going to go up. Why? Because it went up last two years. Right. So all that, um, it's, yes, look, I'm nothing against stock market and long-term, if you're a long-term investor and you have right expectations of seven to 8%, um, you know, annual return, that's good. But, you know, along with it comes volatility, you know, so risk adjusted returns in real estate to me are very high. And within real estate, then, you know, if you look at the workforce housing, you can go as far back as to depression time, right? And run some index. And multifamily index will have done better than most other asset classes during difficult times. And when it's a recovery, it recovers faster than other asset classes. That was my reason. I'm a very downside protection kind of guy. You know, I don't want to, ideally, I don't like to lose money. Now, in investment world, we all know, you know, you can't always win. That's fine. But, you know, I always focus on downside protection. And that's, frankly, what led me to real estate and within real estate to multifamily. Right? Like I said, because you can go, you know, almost 100 years back and you just look at that index, you know, it has been very resilient in difficult markets, in recessions. And that's the kind of business I ideally I, I, I want to be in that. That's uh, that's amazing. You said you use these terms like four or five times downside risk, downside protection. So, I mean, you come at it from the Wall Street, you know, how do I mitigate my risk perspective? And you got into real estate and you believe that being in real estate is a better risk profile than investing in Wall Street type assets. Absolutely. And particularly right now, when we had, you know, debt in trillions, right? Uh, I mean, at some point, inflation is going to hit us, right? At some point, paper assets may not have the value that they have, right? And at that point, inflation, and I personally also feel there's not, I don't think we're going to have consumer inflation, but I think we're going to have asset inflation. And when that happens, where do you want to be? I want to be in real estate. It's, so talk I'm about that. Very, very clear and simple. You know, you know that, that's very clear. We've put, you know, what three, four trillion dollars, you know, in, into the marketplace, um, and you know, the Fed says they're going to keep interest rates, you know, super low for the next two years. Um, but you know, there's the ten years been ticking up, and there's more talk and more talk about the impact of inflation, you know, you put $4 trillion into the marketplace, you'd, you'd imagine that at some point that's going to be inflationary. So talk to the listeners about what's the impact. Let's talk about multifamily. So you buy a multifamily complex. What's the impact? How does that play out in an inflationary environment? Look, at the end of the day, these are cash flowing, uh, cash flow producing assets, right? And when you have inflation, it's going to hit assets. And like I said before, I don't think we're going to have very high consumer inflation, but I think we're going to have asset inflation. And I think, Pashti, you can argue that DFW, you can say maybe that has started, right? Uh, and we will only know, I think, once the couple of two, three years have passed, and then we'll see back and say, oh, my God, you know, look at everything else and look at where real estate is going. Now, I understand there are a lot of other factors, you know, very positive factors that are helping us, 
we have, you know, almost a perfect storm, right? Wind behind us. Um, but there's a reason for that, right? And as far as inflation, again, if inflation hits us, which at some point it, it, it should, right? And I, I know, you know, there's always this time is different and this different paradigm. And trust me, that's what, you know, we heard in the 90s and then it wasn't different paradigm. Um, so it's fine. But I think at some point inflation will hit and inflation will hit the assets. Uh, and hey, that's where that's the time, you know, I, I want to be in real estate and I want to own assets. And that's where I am right now. Many people ask me, um, you know, you were in Wall Street, uh, what, where are your assets? And I can tell you, 99% of my assets are in real estate. Uh, I, I, the, what I have in Wall Street right now is basically a hedge, you know, again, for downside protection. I'm in silver gold for a while, and it hasn't been a good ride, uh, frankly, for the last, you know, seven, eight years. But that's just a hedge I have that when, when you know, if and when, if there's ever a crash, you know, it'll protect. But other than that, 99% on real estate. And again, very simple reason. At some point, inflation is going to hit. And at that time, you got to be in real estate. Yeah. So I, when I think about it, I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know, talk through like a multifamily property. You have all these tenants that are paying rent. Then you have expenses, you know, utility expenses, property tax expenses, insurance expenses. And one of the big, big ones is your debt service, right? And so talk through a scenario. Okay, well, say we do have inflation, right? And, and you know, say that, the, you know, the Democrats get through and, and then we have a minimum wage of $15, you know, across the board. And now all of a sudden people are making more money, right? And jobs cost more most likely it's going to be passed on to the consumer and goods and also where else in rent in my mind, rent will go up also. So now you've got this multifamily property that has all these tenants that are making more money. And now you're increasing rent as a asset owner. But if you have long-term debt on the property, your debt service may stay flat. So your rent could be going up, but your debt service may stay flat. And so that increases the income for the property and then obviously increases the valuation, hence asset inflation. Absolutely. You, you, you nailed it, to be honest. And now combine that also with the fact uh, I was just talking to my asset manager in the, in the morning, you know, where uh, last few months, let's face it, it's not been easy. Right in multifamily, we know that uh, we have delinquency issue, we have moratorium issue, and they're obviously related, you know. And then we have the um, unit economy, right? But uh, we were just saying the last seven eight months we've had probably will never have this kind of difficulty going forward, right? So going back to what you're saying, that is the case. From here on, we're going to have stimulus money, and I, I think you know for the next two three years, the economy uh, post. June, July, when majority or vast majority has been vaccinated, right? We're going to have so much pent up demand, right? There'll be so much um, economic stimulus. We will have a lot of economic activity and all that's going to help the workforce, right? So our delinquency will be lower and our tenants will be making more money, right? right? So it's going to be a great business. Everything that was difficult in the last seven, eight months 
actually will kind of reverse itself. Yeah, right? I, I I think it's crazy. Like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I'm I'm a GP in a property that our delinquency has definitely gone up dramatically over the the last year due to COVID. Um, and but what what gets me so incredibly excited is that like you know, I used to have these discussions with other syndicators, like what happens in the next down cycle, you know, but this scenario was never, ever, ever like even on the table where the, you know, they shut down the economy and the government would, would tell you across the board, you can't, you know, tell your tenant to leave because they're not paying. And you know, what, Nobody could have imagined that happening, but every month we're still cash flow positive. Exactly. That, that is crazy. So in my mind, I'm like, I don't know, you know, when it's going to turn, but when it does, I'm going to be like, holy cow, I can't believe that we came through that the way we did, you know? So I, I'm totally in agreement with you. So, uh, but again, right, despite all this on the multi-family uh, side, particularly in the Sun Belt, right, and you, you have to pick your markets, you know, but particularly in Sun Belt, look what happened to the cap rates, right? Even though you and I, uh, as, as, as GPs, uh, you know, we're, we're faced with this delinquency moratorium and all that, but look what happened to the prices, right? Prices have gone up. It's been... Every uh, whole Sunbelt had cap rates compression, and that's going to continue, right? And again, the, this is in the most difficult time, maybe honestly, of our lifetime. We right. may not have this kind of difficulty ever again. Like you said, this was a fat tail event, right? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I just keep using that terminology, but it's a fat tail event, right? This doesn't happen, right? You and I will never see the economy shut down like we did last year. Probably, uh, I don't think we'll ever see it again. We went through this and we survived. Yeah. Right. When all this happened, I'll tell you the very first day when they said, you know, everything's going to shut down. It was like five in the morning and I was texting my uh, property management company uh, because I, I've never experienced anything like this. And I'm like, hey, uh, is the staff going to be there? You know, everything's shut down. And if you guys are not there, my God, you know, well, what am I going to do? And it's like, then he sent me a list. This is like literally five in the morning. Right. We were texting each other. Uh, he, he said, no, 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 you know, we're part of the essentials, you know, they, they're going to be there. And um, I was like, are, are they going to pay? Are they going to pay? You know, on the TV, they're saying rent strike, this, that, right? Well, guess what? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, you know, we're not collecting as much as we did a year ago, but we survived, right? But now as the things are kind of getting resolved, you know, everybody's going to get vaccinated, you know, economy opens up again. Yeah, our tenants, you know, restaurants open up, right? Our B and C class, they will make money. They will pay us. We'll, we won't have any moratoriums to deal with as we clean up kind of the house, you know, with evictions. Um, and honestly, it's a great time to be buying, I think. I know it sounds crazy, you know, to some, but I'm like, this is the best time to buy real estate. Buy it. You know, well, that, that's what I'm doing. I'll be honest with you. You mentioned, uh, you know, picking your markets. So talk a little bit about that. Like what markets do you think are attractive markets and why? So um, honestly, the whole Sunbelt, right? My focus has been, I, I love Florida. Uh, we bought a property uh, in Florida last year and I, I'll talk about it later, but just let me answer your question first about the markets. 
you know, right now, um, literally yesterday, we submitted um, two LOIs, one in, uh, in North Carolina, uh, one in Georgia, both phenomenal markets, right? Uh, DFW, as we all know, has been very competitive, right? But it's a great market. Uh, you know, this, this is not 2008, as far as I'm concerned. You know, um, this is not speculative market. Uh, this is, you know, prices, uh, as prices going up for fundamental reasons in, in these countries, because uh, in these uh, markets, because you look at their growth rate, you look, you look at the number of people moving in every, every day to these markets. There's a reason why, uh, you know, we have a, such a deficiency of housing markets in these, right? And it, it, I know I build uh, uh, single family, I build uh, townhomes. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Right. So there is, and this is not for months. I'll tell you the whole Sun Belt, as far as I'm concerned, is going to be a great market uh, for decades to come. And wow. that's why, you know, for me, I'm all in. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing is, you know, uh, when I think of what's going on with COVID and, and markets, and it was happening in Texas beforehand, but, um, you know, since COVID happened, you have certain markets where, companies are moving out of, you know, individuals are moving out of, and, you know, let's just call New York City, you know, California, Chicago, and people are moving into these other markets that you're talking about, you know, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, Tennessee, Texas, Arizona, and those markets, it's, their prices are going up, but for fundamental reasons. And, you know, we are going through, you know, a challenge with delinquency, but it, it's funny because I, you know, we're, I think in our property, I think we're 97% occupied and a hundred percent pre-leased. What anytime somebody leaves, we have a line of people that want to move in, like, because you have all these people that are moving in from other States. And so there's more competition for all kinds of real estate multifamily apartments, residential, you know, jobs, everything. And so that is what is not speculative, but is more, you know, based on fundamentals as, as I would, I would agree with you. Absolutely. This is, this is, this is based on fundamental demand, right? This is demand driven. Um, And these, these, you know, migration trends, they don't kind of turn in months, you know, or years, they, they take decades. Right, to mature, and that's what's going to happen. You know, let me tell you a little story. Right, yeah. We started. Um, we uh, I I bought uh, nine acres land in Wiley uh, two years ago. Okay, and maybe I'll give you the numbers. I bought it for fifty thousand an acre. Okay, um, three months ago, two months ago, actually. The Collin County paid me at the rate of $203,000 an acre for right of way. Okay. In between, uh, you know, I had, uh, I, just to give so you that background. Was, that was just a, a piece of, uh, you didn't sell the entire property. They just needed right away. So you sold a piece of the property to them. Yeah. So they got the appraisal yeah. done and they said, yeah. right now the land is worth 203000 per acre. So, you know, based on that, the, I think they, they, uh, sold them about 0.78 acres or something like that. And they paid me that, right? 
So, and this was all part of the plan, right? You know, when we bought it, I knew this was going to happen and all that. This was in the model. But in terms of pricing, just to give you an example, and I'm from New York, right? I, I'm used to paying, you know, 250 uh, per square foot for a 40-year-old home. I'm used to it. I, I don't have a problem with it. But when I moved to Texas, it was a different story. So here, you know, a very close friend of mine kind of said, we want to be part of this uh, project. And honestly, I was doing this on my own. You know, I didn't need really partners, but, uh, you know, they're my close buddies and they, they joined me. So now I had to do a formal performa for them, you know. So I did that and I said, guys, you know, we're going to build about, you know, 16, 1700 square foot townhome. And I think it's going to, and, you know, I really think it will sell for 265. Although right now they're selling for 285, you know, but since you're my friends, I just want to be very safe. You know, let's call it to, to $165,000. And, uh, you know, we went in, you know, they, they bought peace and we, we, you know, transferred it to another entity and all that. And now, you know, we're, we're doing this project last week in Wiley. Get this. Ours is now actually since then we moved to 1900 square feet because of COVID. And I'll talk about that. We changed the plan. 13, 1390 square foot is being sold for $305,000. Oh, wow. It is only two bedroom and two and a half bath. We are three bedrooms and two and a half bath, and we are about five to six hundred square foot more. Okay, so comparing the markets, we were used to in New York again for two forty a foot. I was not used to over two hundred a foot here in Texas, right? So I was like, oh my god, you know, I don't want to tell my friends, you know, something. Uh, let, let me just under promise over deliver, right? I'm right. two sixty five, and even at that time, they told me. He, how can you do 265 when 285 is being sold? I'm like, I don't know. Something bad can happen, guys. You know? <laughs> so I'm not going to promise you. Just, just, right. just don't expect more, right? And they were like, no, it's 300. I'm like, whatever. But I'm not showing you that performance. So now, they, you know, the uh, I showed them that, and they're like, yep, we're going to be at least 350, right? At least. So yes, we. All of a sudden, right in Texas, you, you, you see that this is because of fundamental demand. The rents are going up, right? So the price is, go, the price is going up. It, it's all driven by fundamental demand. I, I completely agree. Now, talk to this a little bit because I, I know I was there, like, um, and I think that there's listeners out there in the same, same boat. Is Look, we've been raised to you know, go in the corporate world and then sock away 10 20% into... 401k or whatever, whatever. And, you know, you might make that decision when you're signing your HR paperwork and never look at it again, you know, and, and that is something that, you know, most people don't understand what their investments are, but they just do it and everybody's doing it. So they just feel safe. But when you go to get into real estate, that first transaction, whether it's a duplex or getting into a, you know, passive multifamily deal you know, it's not like you're just buying a thousand dollars worth of stock. You know, it's typically a fifty thousand dollar investment. Like for us, my wife and I bought a new construction duplex in Gunner, and it's going to take a year to build. It was fifty grand for us. It was like a three hundred thousand dollar investment, and then getting into multifamily, the typical minimums are fifty thousand, seventy-five thousand, hundred thousand. And so that scares off a lot of people. And it scared me for many years. I only got involved three years ago. But 
what I want you to talk about is, you know, capital preservation. And when you talk about, you know, downside risk and downside protection, having made the that shift and pulled a lot of money out of the stock market and I've invested it in, I don't know, nine, 10, 11 passive deals. I'm in three GP deals, but I feel so much more secure being in these real estate deals than having all my money in the stock market. But, you know, the initial investment and the first time doing it can be scary because it's unknown. So kind of talk about that. Yes. And look, you know, one big difference, you know, there, there is a disadvantage, right, to, to a lot of people in that if they can only invest five, ten thousand dollars $10,000, it's not going to be easy, right? right. There, there is obviously, there are platforms now, crowdfunding and all that, right? Or, or to succeed through which, but for the most part, if it's a private placement, right, it is going to be fifty dollars or $100,000. So we can't do much about the investors, you know, who don't have that much minimum to invest. Right. So let's right. talk that, to the investors that have that, but still have never done it and are scared to do it. Yeah. So if you're sophisticated, call it, or you are accredited, right? Then for me, honestly, it's no brainer, obviously. But, you know, I think that that's just education, right? Stocks, by the way, nobody talks about this from a, for a U.S. citizen are not tax efficient, okay? Mutual funds have double taxation. That's just, I know not a lot of people talk about it, right? I did all my hedge funds, so all my investors are overseas investors. They didn't care about taxes. But the other major, major advantage, right? You, you mentioned your investments. You, 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 know, you, you didn't talk about the, um, the depreciation you're gonna get, Right, right. Um, the the lower taxes, essentially, your your yield is going to be tax free, right? Um, we as real estate investors have tremendous advantage, right? Tax advantage or over other assets. So, I always get surprised. You and I can't think of just income; it has to be net income, right? Once you put that into the equation, man, and you can afford to invest fifty thousand dollars, it's no brainer. Right. right for us again i'm gonna say uh, for us now it, it's kind of our job at the same time to educate you know our friends and relatives and our investors uh and i think as you tell them that then they understand right i mean yes real estate also have down cycles on the first one i understand that right uh in in new york you know we went through that right post 87 it was until 92 93 where market stayed flat but then we had a huge leg up, right? And in those tough times also, the cash flowing properties did fine, okay? So then you look at stock market and you look at volatility and there's another concept, you know, sharp ratio, right? Which is risk adjusted returns. In real estate, those are much higher, okay? It's not about, you know, 10% return you get or 20% return you get. It is with what kind of risk you took while getting those returns. In stock market, the volatility, right, is much higher than the real estate. So you've got taxes, you've got volatility, you got, uh, you know, cash flow. Again, for us, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, right? I think. But I understand, I, you know, we need to we need to kind of help uh, others in, in educating and learning 
benefits of real, real estate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, it's, we talked about it. It's a, you know, a larger entrance fee to get in the game, you know, um, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand versus buying, you know, a thousand or $5,000 or $10,000 with a stock or a mutual fund. Um, you know, the tax efficiencies are huge and, you know, but the down, you know, the downside is that, okay, it's, it's much less liquid, you know, so it's, it's a much longer term, you know, investment you're you're getting into it and you're most likely not going to get out of it for you know three four five six seven years and and um so that but that i also look at that as being an attractive piece of it you know after having done it it was scary for me thinking about getting in but you know when i because there is some volatility in in real estate like you but their cycles are much longer so like when it goes down all of a sudden it may be flat for like you said three four years all of a sudden real estate may peter out and and just not be going anywhere but as long as the cash flow is there to sustain the property then you know that it's going to come out on the other side and you don't have a ticker symbol that tells you your hundred thousand dollar investment is now worth thirty thousand right it's just Hey, maybe maybe you're not getting the same distributions you were getting. Um, maybe you're not getting distribution, but as long as you know the the asset manager is able to keep the property and the cash flow is there, then eventually it's going to come out the other side. Um, Absolutely, that's what that's what I love. The other thing is, and your deal was the first deal I invested in, so it was structured where the first distribution didn't happen for six months. And I remember coming home and telling my wife, that was awesome. She's like, what? You know, I, we invested 50,000 in, in your deal. And I'm like, we got an ACH wire into our account for, and I still remember $1,920. And she's like, all right, well, why are you so excited? I mean, like you've made much more money than that. I'm like, because tomorrow it's still $1,920. She's like, I don't get it. I'm like, with any of my stock investments, if it pops and it goes up, I'm thinking to myself, do I sell? Do I keep yeah. it? Like, and you're having to do that with every one of your equity investments because at any point in time, you know, one's going down, one's going up, and you're having to make that mental, you know, but here on that deal, I didn't have to think about that at all. All I thought about was that's cash. Now I accumulate to get into my next deal. And, and um, so I, I love that about these multifamily deals. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that volatility, you know, then it's an emotional roller coaster, right? And, and again, when I was in 20s, I can deal with it. I can't deal with it in 50s, you know? <laughs> right. Um, right. By the way, deal you're talking about, right? Yeah. That sub-market, I mean, on the back end, where we bought it, where things are trading right now, there's a huge delta, you know? So uh, at the right time, it will be sold. And we, we are just seeing the comps. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with the broker yesterday. You know, he was telling me about the comps and I'm like, we know. We just got to take care of a few things and, you know, we'll, we'll be in the market and, and we'll sell it. And just speaking of COVID and how we dealt with it, uh, Darren, you mentioned, you know, multifamily. Uh, it, you, you know, uh, 
Brad and I bought a deal in uh, in St. Pete. We closed it on February 25th. So just as we closed, literally two weeks later, COVID. Holy cow. And I love that deal, to be honest. You know, it took us a good 18 months to find a deal there, you know. And I was so excited. And then COVID happened. I'm like, oh, my God. And Brad is partner there, so that adds more pressure. So, for the for you the know? listener's perspective, when he's mentioning Brad, it, he's referring to to Brad Sumrock, which is the, the multifamily mentorship group that that both of us are involved in. Well, and for me, I have to say, you know, he's been a life changer. Uh, it's it's just been so wonderful, uh, you know, uh, getting in, getting into his group, getting to know him, and he and I are now even partners on deals. And you can see my shirt, you know. This is from his group. Uh, you know, he's, he has done wonderful things for uh, for me, my family, and my life, I, I say. So, hats off to Brad. Uh, you know, so he, he was partner, and this happened in February. So, we close, and this happens. Oh, my God. Right? What do we do? And this is Florida, where the demographics, you know, you look on paper, are uh, older. And COVID, you know, was uh, might have hit. You know, we all knew that's going to hit older, you know, people, unfortunately, uh, more than, than than the youngs, right? We just saw that in Europe. So I tell you, you know, it was scary times. But what we did is we just said, okay, it is what it is. Let's look at our business plan, right? And we pivoted. You know how we do it, right? We have performer rents. We said, just freeze everything. Let's keep the rents the way they are. Let's focus on occupancy. Let's help tenants. Let's find them assistance. Okay. And we did that for, I think, like two, three months. And as things were going crazy everywhere else in the country, our occupancy was going up. Wow. And our collections were just fine. So we said, well, maybe our decision of, you know, waiting on rehab, let's revisit it. So then, honestly, we just, you know, we, we, uh, agreed to kind of do it in phases instead of doing all one shot. We did phase one, we were doing just fine, right? Again, occupancy was fine, you know, and we were doing okay with rents. And eventually we said, you know what, let's do the phase two as well, okay? And then towards the year end, we said, let's raise rents also. All worked out. At this point, I can tell you where we bought it, you know, it's, it's equity could be doubled. <laughs> wow. today okay wow. so and i'm, I'm not saying this, this is just based on the cap rates right sure. uh, uh you know and brad had a facebook post about it too you know because we just just you know increased the noi right that's multifamily. while all this crazy things were going on this is what we were able to accomplish that's crazy okay? and, and this uh, is multifamily. you know this look i'm i'm thankful to be in your deal and i know that you know you guys are, you know, bright and I trust you guys and, and, um, you, you know, you're leading the ship. And, and, um, so it, that's the thing that's also nice about this business to me is that, you know, if I buy IBM stock, I can't call the chairman of IBM tomorrow and say, Hey, Hey, what's going on over here? Or, or let's go, go, let's go play golf. Right. And, yeah. you know, with these multifamily deals, you know the person that is managing the deal and you have access to that person. 
and you you get monthly communications from that person and it's just a different it's just a different animal and um and i like that i like that about it for sure and we all try to help each other you know and and learn from each other so taught you have a construction business you started out building um, duplexes and fourplexes, and then you got into syndication and you've done syndications. Um, and I've seen you do syndications, you know, with people in the multifamily mentorship group and outside the group and, uh, one deal with just your buddies and you've got land deals, you got all this stuff going on. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of syndicators that over the last say year to three years, they've kind of shifted from, you know, C, B, C properties to trying to kind of level up and, and buy more B plus A assets. Um, and some that are actually starting to talk about getting into new construction development, which you already were in. So what I'd like you to talk about, if you would, is, you know, what are the differences between ground up construction and, you know, an, buying an existing cash flowing deal, um, both from a risk profile perspective, return profile perspective, and you know wh- what do you find more, most attractive in today's market? So I'm a little bit kind of surprised when I talk to more investors that they feel construction deals are more riskier and have higher return. I, I don't know, you know why that perception is out there, but I always feel that if there's a risk in a construction deal, you can mitigate it, right? So I don't find it more riskier if you manage it right. So I, you from know, my perspective, as I've been involved in all existing cash flowing deals, I'm in, I'm in one retail development deal. Um, but, you know, in my mind, you know, until you do something, yeah, it's, it's scarier. So like for me, I think there's more risk in a development deal because all right, like lumber prices just shot up. So if you did, you know, if you did your pro forma and you were expecting to pay X amount for lumber and then all of a sudden it doubles, well, that has got to eat into your margins. Um, or maybe it takes longer to, you know, to fill the property than you were expecting. Um, so that's some of the, whether they're, founded or not some of the you know things that float in my head you know uh, and i agree with i agree with that however however again you you can mitigate risk and maybe i can give you an example how yeah. i was approaching a project when i was going to do it and then my buddies you know uh joined me so this this is uh, again i'm going back to wiley uh right this is um part townhomes part commercial and in the townhomes, when I was going to do it by myself, I said, you know, I'll split it. I'm not going to do them all one shot, right? So I'll build X number, rent them, finance them, then build the second one, then the third one. So if, if economy turns, you know, I won't have large, large exposure. But when we got more partners, we said, well, it'd be more efficient if we build them all one shot. So we agreed to that. And now we're doing that. Right. Lumber pricing, honestly, yes, there's nothing any of us can do. However, the only good thing is, you know, we are able to pass uh, the cost to consumer right now. 
Now, one big strategic change also. Derek, so that is, right there, I'm, I'm sorry to jump in, but that right there is something that like, look, I, I didn't even think about that. Like, okay, lumber prices go up, but look, just, you just up your sales price on, you know, I mean, so you don't have to sell it for what the original pro forma was. It, look, everybody is in the same boat. Everybody's lumber price is going up. So everybody's end price has to go up. Yes, and again, right, how you mitigate your risks. So honestly, I kind of learned this lesson in my previous development where I pre-sold everything. And because it was just me doing the project, it was a you know, relatively larger project. And I pre-sold it. So I, I kind of you know, figured, hey, that's how I mitigate my risk. But here, one lesson I learned was, honestly, I left a lot of uh, profit on the table, right? By selling, uh, by pre-selling because the price was fixed and then I was exposed to uh, risks like, you know, lumber going up. So in this case, I'll tell you, somebody offered us, before we broke ground, they said, you know, we'll buy it for uh, $2.45 per, uh, per townhome. And I said, no, you know, that, that's not going to happen because I think the price minimum is going to be $2.65, whereas we had the comps for $2.85, right? So... We mitigated that risk by not pre-selling. Now I can sell at higher price. Sure. Right? So it all comes with experience, to be honest. Yeah. You know, and, and the other major change for me, Darren, was last year was we have gone strategically from build to sell to build to rent model. Mm. So in that sense, you know, I'm not as sensitive as I was to final pricing at you know certain specific time. I'm not sensitive to that anymore. And again, these are my close friends, you know, close group of investors. I explain to them and they all are like, makes sense. Now, uh, before our business model used to be build and sell. Now it is build, rent, run them for eight to 10 years and then sell. And, and right? wh why did you make that decision? Because I just felt that we create so much value when we build. I want to keep that and, you know, take advantage of that cash flow for the next eight to 10 years. And, you know, there is a concept of infinite return. And I'm not going to say it's exactly infinite returns, but hey, if you can invest, you know, pre-development raw land, and then when we, when we have the construction done, when refi, and I can give you all or most of your money back, then why not let it run for another eight to 10 years? And that's just proves the point that you said, you know, probably 30 minutes ago that you believe, you know, the Texas markets, the Sunbelt markets have another decade to go. Absolutely. Uh, and it's going to cash flow. Look, in between, I'm not saying there's not going to be a flat market or might be slight dip or whatever, you know, for a year, two years. But that, that's not our horizon, right? Our, our, our investment horizon is not two to three years. I'm looking at now eight to 10 years when we will know our property, we build it, everything's going to be brand new, right? We want to keep it for eight to 10 years and then we'll sell it. And in real estate, you know, my saying is if you transact, you're going to get rich. But if you hold it for long term, you're going to get wealthy. That's that's big. That's big. What What's your, you talked about, um, you know, what, Brad has has done in the mentorship group. I know you're also part of at least one mastermind. What what's your view on 
you know, look, you're already successful. You were successful as a hedge fund guy. Like, and you, you came into development, you were already building stuff. You started building it on your own. You've gotten some investors with close friends. You got into the syndication market. Yeah. Are you involved in any other masterminds and what's your view on, you know, why do you continue to network? Well, I am right now, um, you know, you know that I'm, I'm in Brad's uh, mastermind that has helped me a ton. Uh, I think this is my third year uh, and I was with him, uh, you know, the very first uh, 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 we had the very first time. I think you know, about two years ago. It, it has helped me a ton, to be honest. How, you know, how so? Uh, so let, let me tell you, yeah. um, I have such a fear of failure that. It was very difficult for me to overcome. For a long time, I would not let my friends or any investor come in a construction deal because I said, oh, my God, you know, if economy turns, if this happens, I, I just can't have anybody losing money. I, I just can't deal with it. And in the, in the uh, mastermind, you know, I talked about it. And others and Brad and Jen helped me with that. Right. And I'll tell you, I'll never forget I think it was Brad who said, why are you thinking you're going to lose their money? Why are you not thinking, what if you make them money? Right. And I was like, wow. Yes, I can do this, right? Still, it was very difficult. So it did take one mastermind. Honestly, I kept going multiple times, like discussing it, getting feedback from, obviously, they're very, very successful superstars there. Right. You know, those are rock stars um, and they're very experienced. You know, they have different backgrounds. So I learned from them. Honestly, that's what gave me the courage to finally tell my friends, OK, fine, you can invest. OK. Um, and while I could have handled it, you know, myself, out. I, that's how it was all finance. Everything was set up, you know, and equity. I had it, everything. And they forced themselves into it. And I said, fine. But the result of that is. That just nine acres and townhomes we were building is only five acres. Since then, then pretty much same group. We bought 22 acres in Melissa, where we are going to build uh, single family homes. And you know, it's all going to be built to rent. Single family homes, we're going to run them like apartments. Now, half of that is for another partner. He, he probably wants to sell, but half that's going to be owned by my team, you know, call it. 50 homes will build and rent. We also just bought 19 acres in Sherman, pretty much same team again, right? Same core group. And there we have 19 acres. We're going to replat it into piece of it's going to be commercial, piece of it's going to be uh, multifamily, and, and the third pad is going to be townhomes, right? So I could not, man, there was no way before the mastermind, I would have done this, you know, and Brad knows this, Brad knows this, you know, because I always went back to him like, oh, I can't, I can't do this, you know, I'm like, no, no, no. But you meet other people, you know, and you talk to uh, other successful, how they did it, you know, and they helped me overcome that fear. And I have to say, now that I did the performance at 265, you know, now it's going to be selling at 350 for this, my friends, I love it. I love it. I hope they're going to make a lot of money. That's, that's huge. You know, so, so much good stuff out of that. Here's a guy 
who was a successful hedge fund guy, successful developer, successful syndicator, had the capital to do his own deals, still finds value in networking with others and still has limiting beliefs that he has to work through. Look, you know, so a lot of people think like when I bring somebody on that has a thousand units or 2000 units, like they have it completely covered. Like they, they just know it all and it's not the case, right? So, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, you may have had a different limiting belief and somehow you got over that through experience. And, you know, for the listener's benefit, look, you have to start with one, you know, your first investment property, whatever that is, or starting your own company for the first time. Like it's, it's scary, but if you get around other people that have done it, done what you want to do, it gives you the courage, like Tahid said, it gives you the courage to go after your goals, go after your dreams. And, you know, it's not to say that it's going to be easy, um, but, you know, there was a piece of Tahid that he was trying to, you know, prevent his friends from losing money. But what he missed was the opportunity to make them all a ton of money. And now he's doing that. And so, you know, to listeners out there, you need to, you know, to think hard about what is important to you and surround yourself with other people that will help get you over the ledge. Um, Tahid, what do you, what do you like to do outside of, outside of business? I know you're a good golfer. I played golf with this guy and it was hole 18 and he had like a 15 footer and it was probably a, it was, it was a side bender in a big way. And it probably broke, I don't know, five, six feet. And, and he, he nailed it for birdie to win on the 18th hole. So I know he's a golfer. Um, so golf and, and what else you got going on? Well, thanks for not mentioning how bad I played in the other 17 holes. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, golf, honestly, I, I, everyone knows I, I, I love the sport. You know, I play it. And uh, a lesson learned from Wall Street was that I, I worked too hard you know, where I did not uh, enjoy it, to be honest, you know, and that's another thing I, I'm still working at, where how do you enjoy the moment, right? But after leaving Wall Street, I made the decision that I got to have a hobby and that's going to help, uh, you know, the longevity of my next career. Uh, so I play golf and for other reasons, you know, philosophically also, I think golf is very much like life, you know, sometimes a day you get a good round, Sunday you get a bad round, right? And sometimes you get good breaks, right? You play a good shot from a bad lie, and sometimes you play a bad shot from a good lie. It's all life lessons, right? That's how life works. So, uh, yeah, you know, and also we have uh, an organization, uh, you know, association, CGA. I'm uh, actually, as of this year, I'm a president of that golf association. So we do five, six tournaments a year. You know, we awesome. make trips, uh, you know, and it's it's it's, it's great a uh, way of uh, socializing, you know, I've met a lot of people through that. So that's one. And then, uh, Darren, you know, I, I have two, uh, I have twins, you know, two 21-year-old kids. Uh, so they, well, they're not kids anymore, I guess, 21-year-old, they're adults now. 
They're still your kids, right? (laughs) I know, I know, but they just remind me sometimes, you know, that you're 21. So I'm like, thanks, okay. So, uh, (laughs) you know, help them uh, a a lot, to be honest. My son uh, is is kind of, uh, I think, you know, he's gone from, he's he's very much into investments. He wanted to go to Wall Street. And then, you know, three years ago, uh, I kind of told him, hey, you know, maybe you should look into real estate and at the time, it was a very nice compliment. He said, no, Dad, that's for old people. And I'm like, gee, thanks. <laughs> uh, you know, and then I can- Well, you still have like dark you. hair. My kids tell me, my Dad, <laughs> your hair's white. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are not dark. <laughs> um, you know, these, these are dyed. So, uh, you know, but two years ago, he came, a year and a half, I think, he, he came to me and he said, would you pay if I get my license? And Wow, you want to get real estate license? Yeah. Well, you want a full time to school? He's like, no, you know, Dad, I have about twenty days in between two semesters. I'll get it. I'm like, okay, I'll pay if you want to get it. So I, I you know, he he got the license and he's doing well. He's a little bit uh, actually right now. He's interning with a firm where they do what I do. Uh, you know, uh, multifamily. So I spend quite a bit of time with him. You know, I spend quite a bit of time with my daughter. To be honest, my kids. Uh, you know, we know they have maybe a year or two with us at most, and then they will be, you know, Off solo, fl- solo flying. Exactly. Right. So, you know, that, that takes, to be honest with you, most of uh, uh, my time, you know, family and uh, golf and uh, investments. Awesome. Well, I look forward to getting out and playing some golf with you again. I know that um, you've done a fantastic job of of developing relationships with other bro- with brokers that are you know sourcing some deals for you um, that you play golf with, and um, you know you've you've leveraged that to have fun and do business at the same time. Um, hey, if listeners want to reach out to you um, and listeners, I would I would highly encourage it. I mean, again, he was the first person that I met with, um, so genuine and s- such a great business background and um if they want to reach out to you how, how can somebody get a hold of you uh we have uh, uh toss investments taas investments has a facebook page we also have a website uh tossinvestments.com uh, so you know feel free to visit my uh website um that would be probably the easiest way okay fantastic and that's t-a-a-a-s it's t-a-a-s investments Com. Correct. Investments is a plural, you know, with an S plural, tossinvestments.com. Fantastic. Tahid, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, listeners, I hope you really enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.